0: We saw a picture and it was this gift and it was all wrapped up with a red bow on the top and the Lord says some of you need to hear this, I don't know who it's for I'm just being obedient, he's meaning to untie that bow that neat package that you always have just so neat and perfect he's meaning to untie that bow and unwrap that package because he's been trying to do things in you for a very long time you've been stopping him and saying, please don't touch my my beautiful little present, which is really just you. He's beginning to shake your world, and it's on purpose. It's on purpose. He's beginning to shake each and every one of us, and it's on purpose. It's on purpose. So instead of holding him back, begin to say, yes, Lord. Begin to say, yes, Lord. This is for the young people, too. This is for everyone in this place and everyone hearing. Begin to allow Him to lead your life. Hallelujah. Jesus. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. We say, yes, Lord. We say, Lord, have Your way. Have Your way, Lord.
1: Father, like Jesus prayed in the garden, we say, not our will, but yours be done. You know, uh, for those of you that are listening to this sermon, you don't know what was taking place a little bit ago, the praise and worship. And it's interesting how that you'd have some people who would have... uh, walked into our service after the praise and worship had begun and wondered what was going on. And some folks would have thought, well, this is out of order. You know, there's, this is just not right. Then, uh, you know, at one point, we were all instructed by the Lord Spend some time praying in the Spirit out loud. And there are Christians who are born again, spirit filled, who attend either churches that are a part of a denomination or churches that are not a part of a denomination, yet they do believe being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues, and they would have said, that's out of order. That's out of order. You might find that hard to believe, but trust me. Trust me. I know. And yet what's interesting is that this service has been totally in order by the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Therein lies the problem. Not that it was in order, but the fact that, quite frankly, the majority of Christians in the world would find it out of order. And we're wondering how come revival seems so hard. It's because, too often, we call out of order that which is in order. I've been in services where people claimed the Holy Spirit really moved. When in reality, what I observed was a lot of emotion and not Holy Spirit. But try to convince them of that. It has to do with what you've been led to believe and how you've been taught over the years. There are some people who the moment they heard something about praying in your heavenly language and people began praying in tongues, they would have bolted for the door. Some even possibly believing the devil has possessed that church. And we wonder why true revival seems to be so difficult. What it comes down to is An unwillingness to go forward with God. And yet, how many Christians are going to say, well, I don't want to go forward with God. And what we really mean is, I'll go forward with God. I want to go forward with God as I define it. Now, we don't say that consciously. But instead of, really getting into the Word to find out what does all this mean? What does it take? In other words, to go forward with God. Then we're allowing other things to define spiritual progress. And a lot of those things, they'll hold us back because it's what we dwell on mentally. Now, i want to give you a couple of examples in Scripture. Um, There's so many different, I I guess you could say, paths into this truth, but we're going to take a look at a few things. Turn to Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. Nobody likes to think that the church they attend is off. So somebody would say, well, Brother Martin, that's rather arrogant of you because that means you want to give people the impression that there's nothing wrong in your church. Well, let me put it like this. There's far less wrong in this church than what there used to be. You know, I've been here since February 21st, 1999. There's far less wor- far less wrong in this church than what there used to be. And there's more right in this church than what I have experienced in so many other churches. And all you have to do is sit down and listen to other Christians talk about their church and what's going on, and pretty soon you will know that there are some things that aren't right in their church. Not sinful, necessarily. Just not right. In Mark chapter 14, this is right after, uh, as it's recorded here in Mark 14, it's right after Jesus and uh, the apostles shared in what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, just prior to his arrest. And in Mark 14, verse 27, And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But after that I am risen, I will go before you into Galilee. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. And Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But he spake the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee in any wise. Likewise also said they all. Now why was Peter so vocal about this well we won't go back to it but not too long before this jesus had been telling them i'll be arrested and, and i'm paraphrasing i'll be arrested i'll be crucified and so on and so forth and peter rebuked him and said no that's not going to happen and Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan, for you don't have the things of God in mind, but the things of, of the flesh, the things of man. And then, right after that, was the experience of the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John went with Jesus up the mountain, and there Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus about what he would accomplish in Jerusalem, his crucifixion and so forth. And then God spoke from heaven, This is my beloved son. You know, believe what he says. And so Peter, he kind of gets the message. And so now he says, All right, Jesus, you know what? <laughs> I get it. And even though you say that everybody else is going to turn their backs on you, I won't. And Jesus said, Peter, before the crow. Sings his song two times. You're going to deny me three times. And it says that he spake the more vehemently. (laughs) In other words, what he's actually doing, it's kind of like he's rebuking Jesus again. No, Jesus, I'm telling you, I will not deny you. Look at me right here, Jesus. I will not deny you. The rest of these guys, I don't know. But me, I will not deny you. I can just see Jesus looking at him. The way Jesus looks at people. The way I'm waiting to experience. (laughs) Turn over to to verse 66. Peter and the others have witnessed Jesus being arrested. And Jesus is being put on trial. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again, and began to say to them that stood by, This is one of them. And he denied it again. And a little later, they that stood by said again to Peter, Surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech, your accent, the way you talk, agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. And in Matthew twenty-six seventy-five, it says that he wept bitterly. Now, what if you'd been Peter? Granted, every, the whole bunch of them took off and ran. But what if you'd been Peter? How would you have handled that? After you looked Jesus right in the eye, and you said, I won't do that. How many times have you, figuratively speaking, looked Jesus right in the eye and said, I will not do that again? And then what happened? You and I both know what happened. You did it. How do you feel after that? How do you think Peter felt? Because he watched the rest of this play out and he watched Jesus die on that cross. Well, we turn over to John chapter 21. It's the third day uh, where Jesus has been raised from the dead. And um, a lot of things have happened. People have seen him and so forth. Well, we jump uh, here in, in uh, 21. It says Jesus, verse 1, showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And we won't go through this whole chapter, but um, you know, basically he fixed a meal for them. They all got off the boat, sat down and ate. And We'll pick it up in verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me more than these? And so a lot of people want to get caught up in that, well, what does he mean more than these? You know what? That's not nearly as important as, Do you love me? Regardless of what the these are. Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, Lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee? He saith unto him, Feed my lamb. Now stop right there. <laughs> How does Jesus know that Peter loves him? Peter denied him. Cursed now, I know this is not too long before Jesus ascended back up to heaven, but do you understand what I'm saying? And Peter says, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my, la- feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. Now a lot of people believe that Jesus asked him that question three times because Peter denied Jesus three times. Regardless of that, Jesus was letting Peter know in spite of the fact that you turned your back on me, in spite of the fact that you promised me that you would die before you denied me, you still denied me three times. Just like I warned you. I warned you ahead of time, Peter, you were going to do it. And you said you wouldn't, but you still did. Peter, you're right, I know all things. And I know that you love me. And I know that you didn't really mean it when you denied me. But above all that, I want you to know that I love you. And I restore you, Peter. Now, feed My sheep. Feed my sheep. (laughs) What did he do? Peter. What did Peter do? Well, look over in Acts, chapter 2. You know the story, the day of Pentecost. They had been in the upper room for about 10 days, just waiting. Jesus said, Tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. So for about 10 days they are tarrying in Jerusalem and they do not know specifically when the Holy Ghost is going to come. But here it is, the day of Pentecost. And they're all together, about 120 people in that upper room. Rushing mighty wind, the sound of that that wind, and cloven tongues like as of fire. They all begin to speak in tongues. Massive crowd gathers. And in verse 14, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words. And so he begins to preach. Now, the total, the sum total of his sermon is not recorded in Acts. All we have are the highlights. That's it. Because if you look over in verse 40. It says, and with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation. So we are basically reading a summary of what he said. And verse 41 says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Same day. Same day. Okay, now, there they are, the upper room, I want you to put yourself in that place. There you are, Peter. You're in the upper room. You know what Jesus said to do? So you're there. You're tarrying. And after everything that's happened, after the denial, let's just be honest here. Even though Jesus, now I don't know if Jesus put his arm around Peter when he was talking to him or not, I'm guessing he may have. But, he, he tells Peter, he said, you know, you love me? I right, well then feed my sheep. Three times. Three times. He's telling Peter you're restored, you're restored, you're restored. I'm not turning you away. You denied me my hour of need, but you know what? I know your heart. So look, serve me. I accept you. You don't think that over the ten days in that upper room that the thought of what he had done never crossed his mind? You think that he never once considered what he said? His denial, his cursing? You don't think that at no point those thoughts, his words, began to ring in his mind what he said. You don't think that happened? Come on, guys. You and I both know that would have happened if that had been us. And here's the thing. He still stood up. And he preached this message. Now where was it? When he preached this message, where was he? Jerusalem, right? Where was Jesus crucified? Jerusalem. It's the day of Pentecost. Thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews have come in for this feast. Don't you think it's possible that when he stood up, and said, ye men of Jerusalem and Judea, you know, hearken unto my words. You don't think it's possible that some of the people who were there the night Jesus was on trial happened to be in that crowd? And he said, wait a second. <laughs> You're the guy that cursed and said you didn't even know him. What's the deal with this? Because there were some people, when you read this, You'll understand there were some people that didn't seem to want to go along with anything he was saying. But they're there, they're listening. You don't think there were some people that heard him and they were there that night? As he's standing up there and he's he's, uh, Jesus and he died for you and so on and so forth. You don't think maybe he saw the maid who had said, hey, you're one of them. And he says, I don't know what you're talking about. You don't think it's possible he may have seen some of those people? Let me tell you something, if, if those of you that never preached a sermon, you can be preaching a sermon, then all of a sudden thoughts start trying to dance around in your head. What am I doing up here? What do I have to offer these people? <laughs> hey, I preached my first sermon July 12, 1989, trust me, I know, those thoughts can, can kind creep in when you least expect it. And it's not like you can stop in the middle of your sermon and say, Stop that! Stop that! (laughs) Yeah. Guys, it's very possible what I have described happened with Peter. And yet, he still stood up and did this. And from that point on, the rest of his life, you don't think that those thoughts tried to drag him down again. 10 years later, 15 years later, 30 years later. You don't think that it, he, he never again had to deal with those memories? How many of you are dealing with memories from things 15 years ago? 20 years ago? And you don't think Peter fought the same kind of battle? Look over in Acts chapter uh, 6. In Acts chapter 6, what's happened is um, there was a dispute among the Jewish people concerning who was being served meals and who wasn't. And the apostle said, look, we don't have time to wait tables. So you guys present to us who you think would be good to serve in this capacity. We'll pray. And when we believe it's the right thing, then we will, you know, assigned them this, this position, this task. And in verse 5 it says, And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, and these other people. The apostles laid hands on them, prayed them, and set them in this, this uh, place of service. And verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. In other words. No matter how many times. That these people. And a bunch of them listed here in verse 9. That came. You know. Wanted to argue. And says they were disputing with him. They were not able to resist his wisdom. No matter what they said. No matter what kind of argument they laid out. He just came back and says something. And it's like. Well okay. What do we say to that? Well. It says in verse 11, when they suborned men, which then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. That word suborned means they got together and conspired, even to the point of maybe paying people off to lie. That's what that means. In other words, they they couldn't do it honestly. They could not contradict what he was saying. Things were happening. So they got into a conspiracy, maybe even paid people off to lie. So Peter is arrested, and he's put on trial, and and boy, does he ever preach a sermon and a half. And we jump over to chapter 7, verse 54. And when they had heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. I mean, you have to really be mad to start chewing on someone. (laughs) But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing on the right hand of God, and said, Behold... I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. In other words, they put their hands over their ears. We can't take any more than they charged him. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, received my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his Burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now, that phrase "made havoc" it comes from a Greek word, lumeinomei, lumeinomei, and it means destruction, to ravage, devastate, waste, injure, destroy. In other words, it's like warfare. He, Saul, has essentially declared war against the body of Christ, against Christians. And where it says made havoc, I mean, he, he was doing, it didn't matter, male, female, mom, dad, kid, didn't matter. It didn't matter. If you're one of those so-called Christians, I'm taking you down. uh, You're dying. We're going to arrest you and everything you have. You, this is it. It's over for you. Made havoc. Now if you look in chapter 9. In verse 1. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest, and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now you notice in verse 1 it says slaughter. That word slaughter, it comes from the Greek word phonos. It means murder, slaying, or killing by the sword. And it's a synonym to the Greek word kopē, which means butchery, a cutting to pieces. So this word slaughter... It's very appropriate for what he was doing. And he, he, what's interesting is that he went to Damascus. Damascus is not a, a city in Israel. You understand that? Okay. He makes reference to this here in just a moment. We're going to read it. Turn over to um, Acts chapter 26. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is on trial In verse 1 it says, Then Agrippa, king Agrippa, said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth the hand and answered for himself. Jump to verse 10. And he says, uh, and he's talking about how he was persecuting the church and so forth. And he says, verse 10, Which thing I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints, did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. That phrase, strange cities, means cities that are outside the dominion of Israel. Now, this is really interesting because, in other words, he knew no boundaries. It doesn't matter if you are in another country. I will hunt you down. Now, <clears throat> in this, uh, in this uh, the 10th and 11th verse, you'll notice here, in verse 11, it says, Exceedingly mad against. Now, that phrase, Exceedingly mad against, it, it comes from the Greek phrase, Perisos now, instead of trying to give you the, uh, the specific definitions of those words, those definitions were put into a sentence by a Greek scholar, and I'm going to read that sentence to you. Nothing, no phrase, could more forcibly express his violence against the Christians. He raged like a madman. He was so ignorant that he laid aside all appearance of reason. With the fury and violence and ungovernable temper of a maniac, he endeavored to exterminate them from the earth. Now, what he did, seriously, what he was doing was not too different from what Hitler did against the Jews in World War II. So you capture that that image of what we've heard about, you know, the Holocaust, okay, that is kind of what was going on back then. And when it says that, um, that he raged like a madman and uh, laid aside all appearance of reason, in the Greek, this defines somebody who's, uh, what we would say, has gone off the deep end. I mean, just, they have lost all sense of reason. And they've got a goal before them. In this case, his goal was destroy everyone who professes Jesus. No matter what. I don't care who you are. How old you are, you die. And I don't care how you die. You die. Now look in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. Here in Galatians chapter 1, Take a look at verse, I'll pick it up in verse 13. He said, For you have heard of my conversation or uh, manner of living in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above my uh, many my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers." Now here in this passage where he says that in verse 13 how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. That phrase beyond measure, it comes from the Greek word "hooperbole," which is the word from which we get hyperbole. And what it means is far beyond what would be considered normal. In other words, he was so adamant about destroying Christians that even other Anti Christian Jewish leaders would have observed him and been concerned about. Well, I don't think you want to get him mad at you. Even though we agree with him, we've got to put it into this. This guy is going above and beyond what even we think would be normal persecution. And where he says that he uh, wasted it, wasted the church, that word wasted comes from the Greek word portheo, it means to ravage, destroy. And it it presents the image of an invading army overthrowing and destroying a city or the image of a wild animal savagely mauling someone. Now, The point I'm trying to make in all of this is to help you understand what Paul did. Now, it was bad enough for Peter to say, curse, 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 you know, and I don't know the man. That was bad enough. But Paul... What he did? Can you imagine? I mean, there it is on the road to Damascus. And, you know, the story, the the shining light and the voice, you know, why are you persecuting me? Well, he's having a supernatural encounter. And, you know, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that moment of eye-opening reality? Oh, my goodness. Honestly, I have no doubt about what the Apostle Paul probably expected. He's going to strike me dead right now. After everything I've done. He knew what he had done. We've read the descriptions of what he did. The guy was a madman. He was a lunatic. And he's, uh, there's no doubt in my mind. He's thinking, you're going to kill me and I deserve it. But then, he said, Jesus tells him, go on into the city and then there's a guy going to come, he's going to minister to you, his name's Ananias, and you know, the scale's going to fall off your eyes, going to receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now you're Paul. Or at the time he was still Saul, it's like, wait a second, you're not going to kill me? All you want me to do is go in there and wait? No problem. No problem. <laughs> I'm there now. <laughs> you understand that? From that point on, Look, guys, from that point on, it didn't matter to him what God said, go do this. He's like, I'm on it. I'm on it. After everything that I did, you want to use me? After the way that I have, and then here's the list of all the stuff, you want to use me? I mean, nowadays it could be, you know, after all the people that I killed because I was in organized crime, or or all of this and all of that, and you want to use me? Seriously? Seriously? Hey, I'm your man. I'm your woman. I'll do it. And then look look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. You know, a long time ago, this jumped out to me. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Receive us, for we have wronged no man. We have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. Stop right there, Paul. <laughs> I have a question. I just read a whole bunch of stuff about where it seemed like you've done these things. In fact, the word wronged means to do wrong. It comes to the Greek word adikeo. It means to do wrong, hurt, damage, harm. The word uh, corrupted, it comes from a strange Greek word, phethereo. it means waste, corrupt, destroy, punish with destruction, bring to a worse state. <laughs> You're saying you never did this stuff? I know for a fact you did these things. I just read it in the Bible. <laughs> he says you, you haven't done these things. Now I understand the perspective wherein he's writing this. don't want to get into all of that. But let's, let's think about this now. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul, Damascus Road experience, and then from that point on, he's serving Jesus? And he goes into all these different cities. He was in Jerusalem even, but he's in all these different cities, and you don't think sooner or later he came in contact with somebody who said, I remember you. You had my mom and dad executed. I remember you. you. You took my husband and killed him right in front of my eyes. I remember you. You don't think that never happened in all the different places that he went? Or he's standing up one time and he's, maybe he's there in a synagogue and he's ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ and he looks out and he sees somebody who's missing an arm because Paul is the one who ordered that man's arm to be cut off. Because that man, they caught him writing a letter about Jesus. They see somebody who's got their, their eye or their eyes gouged out, an ear cut off, a leg cut off. You don't think something like that never happened? Well, Scripture doesn't say it did. But, folks, come on. Sooner or later, yeah, there's a really good chance it happened. What about the thoughts, the memories of what he did? He's up there ministering a sermon, then he sees somebody, and he knows that 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 lady is a widow because he had her husband killed. And there are those thoughts in the middle of the sermon. This is your fault. You did this. You did that. How in the world, think with me now, how in the world did he survive without drugs? Come on. How in the world did he survive without a psychiatrist to help him? I'm not trying to be cruel, but what I'm saying is this. You've got a bunch of Christians out here in the body of Christ today. They, need, they say they need you know, psychotherapy and they need drugs to deal with their past. you you got a past worse than this? How did He make it? How did He do this? How did He keep His sanity? How was He able to sleep at night? When the memories of the, the, the screaming and the crying, please don't, please don't. Jesus loves you, please don't when those memories would try to crawl back in and keep him awake at night, how did he sleep? How did he get through this? How did he live all these decades beyond the the killing and the murdering and the maiming and the arresting? How did he do it? And then how in the world today can we as Christians say, well, I need drugs to get me through the day? How in the world can we say, you say, well, now, wait a second, Brother Martin, you just don't understand. No, guys, what you don't understand is what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what you don't understand. Now, I'm just going to make a statement. Some people go bonkers on, but you flat out don't need those drugs. What you need is a knowledge of who you are in Christ. Look in Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. What I'm sharing with you right now in this message is one of, not the only, but one of the major roadblocks to revival. And that is our past. Dealing with our past. In Philippians chapter 3, in verse 4, the Apostle Paul says, Though I might... Also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof uh, he might trust in the flesh, I more. In other words, your accomplishments in this world, the things that you've done, and maybe some of them weren't positive accomplishments, they were negative accomplishments. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, look here. Though I might have also confidence in the flesh. He says, verse 5, Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee. Now look here, verse 6. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ, yea, doubtless. And I count all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. Now stop right there. We know physically he hadn't died. What's he talking about? The conformable, Not going to. I've taught on this before, very briefly, conformable to his death is dead to the things of this world which includes tormenting memories of the past. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, neither already perfect or fully mature, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended it. In other words, I'm not standing here telling you that I have reached the full 100% level of absolute, pure, spiritual perfection and maturity. He said, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now look at this 15th verse. Let us therefore as many as desire to be fully mature in Christ be thus minded. And if in Anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. In verse 6, back up here in this. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. From the Jewish law perspective, persecuting the church was an admirable thing. They thought the church, the teachings of Jesus, believe in Him, be born again, He's the Messiah, so on and so forth. They thought that was blasphemy, taking Jews to hell. So from that perspective, persecuting the church was a good thing. But the reality of it was, it was a horrible thing. And after everything that we've read that the Apostle Paul did, he had to do what he says here in uh, verse 13. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, and reaching forth unto those things which are before. Now we know that he did not totally forget everything, because when he was standing before King Agrippa, this is right before he went to Rome, and when he, by the time he got to Rome he ended up being executed. So this event we're reading took place before he stood in front of King Agrippa, and remember, he's telling King Agrippa, here's what I did. You know, I persecuted the church. I did these horrible things to them. So the memory of all those things he did was there. When he talks here about forgetting those things which are behind, what he's, talk, he's not talking about erasing the memory. What he's talking about is those things no longer govern my life. Those things no longer govern my decisions. Those things, listen, those things no longer govern my self-image. What I think of me. How I qualify myself before God. Those things no longer rule in my life. And it wasn't just the bad stuff, but it was also the good stuff. Because he had so many accomplishments. He was extremely uh, respected among the Jews. And yet he says, you know what? Forgetting those things that are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. What is something we are reaching forth unto is revival. And see, we cannot reach unto revival if we're still struggling with our past. Or if we're still Rejoicing in our, our past good things. How was he able to do this? How was he able to get past all the bad things? Look over in Hebrews chapter 8. I'll show you a couple of places. Hebrews chapter 8. Look at verse 12. God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Paul, Paul knew this. See? He knew this. This was a prophecy from the Old Testament of what was coming with the New Covenant. Paul knew this. This, right here, this prophecy, the reality of this truth, this is something. And I'll say it like this. It weighed powerfully in his mind. Because when the thoughts of, I can't believe, I look out it and I see, there's, there's that teenage boy, and I had his mother and father killed. Yet, <laughs> God is no longer holding this against me. Because where it says, I'll be merciful to their unrighteousness, their sins and iniquities. Well, will I remember no more? That does not mean God develops amnesia. It doesn't mean that he erases his memory. That is a, a legal term in the, uh, the Greek language, and what it means is, I will no longer hold you accountable for those things that you did. I will no longer hold it against you. In other words, you know, call it double jeopardy, whatever. You, you, Jesus was found guilty on your behalf, therefore I will not find you guilty because the price has already been paid for the crime. Therefore I will no longer remember what you've done. And this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 3.13 where he says, forgetting those things which are behind. Think of it like this, I will no longer self-incriminate myself. Self-incriminate me. I will no longer hold myself accountable and guilty And live with that guilt and pour on myself some kind of judgment and declare myself unworthy to be used by God. He says, I will no longer do that. No, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to reverse that and I'm going to start looking ahead. Looking, looking and reaching forth and and pressing in toward those things which are before. The mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what I'm going to do, and then look over in First um, Timothy, in First Timothy chapter one. In First Timothy chapter one, look in verse 12, Paul writes, "And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry." Now, again, you've you got to, please keep this in perspective. This is the guy who knows what he did to all these Christians. And he's saying, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who enabled me for that he counted me faithful putting me in the ministry. (laughs) Do you realize how hypocritical that sounds when you think about what he did? How many times do you think somebody would have said, I know you, you're that guy that persecuted all these Christians. Now you expect us to believe this? yeah, right. You're nuts, Paul. He could have said, no, I was nuts. Now I'm saying, I have the mind of Christ. I have no doubt but what throughout his entire ministry, there may have been times when people did exactly that, come up against him and tried to shove his past right back up in his face. And here he says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord. He has enabled me. He has counted me faithful. He put me into the ministry. I don't don't know what you've done in your past, but you know what? You better put yourself in verse 12. Because Christ is the one who has enabled you. Christ is the one who has put you in. Christ is the one who has accepted you. Christ is the one who's made it possible for this. And he says in verse 13, he even says, you know, who was before a blasphemer, this was me. Jesus did verse 12 for me, in spite of the fact that I was, verse 13, a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. I mean, I did great damage and harm to people and so on and forth. But I obtained mercy because I did all those things ignorantly in unbelief. And uh, and somebody might say, okay, well, he did it ignorantly. He, He didn't really know Jesus was the Messiah. He didn't, okay, but he knew the word. He ignored the fulfillment of prophecies and clung to his religious traditions. You understand this? And he says, you know, I did it in unbelief. (laughs) I don't care why you did it. The fact remains is, you did it. (laughs) You did all those things. That's just like, you know, you're driving down the highway, and you're doing 110 miles an hour, and a cop pulls you over, and says, you do realize the speed limit's only 65 if you look at him and you say, oh, well, I did it ignorantly in an unbelief. You know, he, he's still going to give you a ticket. <laughs> That's not going to work. <laughs> and then in verse 14. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. In other words, the grace of God was greater than Paul's past. Hallelujah. And he says, you know what? He qualified me. That's why I'm able to do these things. And if you look back over in Philippians chapter 4, what I'm doing is I'm showing you in Scripture why he was able to get past his past. Why he was able to accept this call and do what God had called him to do. Why, how he was able to deal with the memories that would try to crawl back in and tear him down. And you and I both know, you see something, it reminds you of an event from your past. You smell something, it reminds you of an event from your past. You hear something, it reminds you of an event from your past. And so many times it's bad stuff. And then there you go again, just pounding yourself over and over and over again. When are you going to stop? If the Apostle Paul could stop... And go forward with God. And guys, guess what? Every single one of us can do the same thing. No excuses. And you don't need drugs to deal with it. Look, this is a major problem in the body of Christ in this world today. The world tells us we need to medicate our minds to deal with the memories. And God is saying, wait a second, you don't get it. What you need is to understand what I've done for you. And, I, and I'm explaining to you, from Scripture, how that the Apostle Paul, he admits to what he did. He admits to it, but it doesn't control him anymore. And if somebody were to say, hey, you're the one who, think of, yeah, you know what, you're right. However, because of Jesus Christ, you know, it's a fulfillment of God's prophecy that he would not remember my sin anymore. He's not going to hold it against me anymore because of Jesus. And because of his grace, his grace was greater than all the stupidness that I did in my past. All the foolishness, all the the people I had murdered, His grace was greater. That's why I'm able to do this. Not because I did it on my own. Not because I could forgive me by myself and understand that forgiveness. No, because He forgave me and I came to the place of understanding His forgiveness and grace. Because if you have, listen guys, if you try to live by your own forgiveness, too many Christians will never make it. And you will never serve God in your life. doesn't matter what's happened. The grace of God is greater. And in Philippians chapter 4, look at this. Verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Think on these things. Think on these things. How do you think he came up with this verse? Because he figured out, this is how you live victoriously over the memories of your past. You think on these things. This is what you think on. And don't any, listen, I don't care if you're here, watching, listening, don't, don't, don't you contact me and tell me it can't be done. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Because the word of God says it can be done. Don't don't argue with me about this. Seriously. Because years ago, I would have agreed with you. Not now. Not that I have learned what I have learned to this point in my walk with Christ. No way. And look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And here's a, a verse that establishes a principle regardless of the source. Here's what I mean. Chapter 10, 2 Corinthians, verse 5. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Whether it's wrong doctrine or memories of the past, the things that would torment you and get you to think, but I can't, I'm not worthy, God will never use me, Oh, I'm born again, yeah, you know, washed in the blood and so forth, but, and then then the stuff in the past, no, uh uh, cast it down. Cast it down. Oh, but Brother Martin, you don't know how hard it is. You you know why it's hard? Because you've not done it. I mean, you've never really put forth the effort to cast it down and to think on these things. All the woulda, shoulda, coulda's. You know what? Don't let that family move in. They won't do you any good whatsoever. They're the the people that you don't want to invite to your Christmas parties. And you don't want to go to their birthday parties. You don't want to. Because everybody in here, we've got woulda, shoulda, couldas in our life. Guys, listen to this. It is impossible to press toward the full mark of conformity to Christ and into revival if you keep repenting for what is forgiven, keep dwelling on the failures of your past, or reliving the victories of your past. Pressing toward the mark demands that you leave the past where it is, in the past. The more you know who you are in Christ, the less you'll live in the past. That's really what it comes down to, and that is what Paul discovered. See, when it comes to what, uh, you know, if, you keep, if you keep repenting for what is forgiven, how much more blood of Christ do you need? If it's over, it's over. And then along with that, you know, dwelling on the failures of your past, how is that helping you? Because you keep painting an image. You know, the Holy Spirit's trying to paint the image of who you are in Christ, and then you keep painting over it with all the reasons why you can't. Now get over it. I'm serious. There's some of you in this room right now, you've got a past that you think disqualifies you for service before God. Some of you, it's because of how you were raised. Well, we didn't have much, and I don't have a great education, and I can't. So now you're hammering hammering yourself because you didn't go to college? Seriously? Neither did, did Peter and John. Neither did Jesus. I mean, really, how much more of your past are you going to keep pulling up and saying, hey God, look at this. This is why you can't use me. Do you think he buys into that? Now that's you convincing yourself. When it comes to the good things, here's what happened with me. Oh, I, I don't know how long ago. But as I've shared before, you know, I played a lot of softball, And I wasn't, you know, the, the superstar, but I could hold my own. I was extremely fast. I was very very good exceptionally good defensively in the outfield and I hit my share of home runs so and I've got I've got boxes of trophies upstairs in the attic now I there were times when I would sit back and I'd start thinking about past games and championships that home run that I hit, and all this other. Those aren't bad memories. Those aren't bad things. And then one day, now that's just one example of other you know, good things. One day the Lord began ministering to me about that and said, you've got to stop. You've got to stop living in the past. Because, let me put it like this, the more brain power I devote to living in my past is the less attentive I am to the voice of God. Because I'm too busy thinking about my base hit 35 years ago. Guess what? That game is long over. The good things. Yeah, testimonies. I get it. Good te- there are times when it helps. Like for me as a minister, there are times when it helps. To let people know, I prayed for this person and healed of this. Prayed for that person, healed of that. Prayed for this person. Because it it can be encouraging people to receive ministry from the Lord if I pray for them. But, guys, there comes a point to where you have the knowledge of your past, but you can't keep living there. You you can't do this. Now I'm going to read to you there uh, was a prophecy the Lord shared with me. And I found this in my notes. And because of where it was in my notes, I don't think I've ever shared it with you. But when I saw this and I thought, well, this fits this is imperfect with the message today. I want you to listen. The Lord said, Stop living in the past, good or bad. When your mind is occupied with what was, You cannot receive from me what is and what is to come. Your past is filled with many great accomplishments and many great errors. You cannot afford to continue dwelling on them like someone watching the same television reruns over and over. The life you are living today is a result of the choices you have made in the past. You need to focus on me so I can lead you into present-day choices That will alter the path of your future, a future I have already laid out for you in heaven. You cannot change what has happened, but you can prepare for what I will bring. I am leading you in the paths of righteousness for my namesake. Just as I have said in my word that my mercies are new every morning, so will be the refreshing of my presence each day as you focus on me. The more you renew your mind the more you will know and understand my will for you. So again, I say, stop living in the past, a past that had less of me than you now have. Stay focused on my presence in your present day. Your past is over, but a greater level of my glory awaits you. Focus on me, and let me give you a fresh vision of who you are in me, and the joy of the future I have waiting for you. You've got to lay it down. And see, if we are going to press into revival, we cannot continue living in the past. All the good. All the bad. Fun memories are fun memories. We get together, we share about things that have happened. We all understand the perspective. But too many times, something happens. And there it is again. That thing. Oh, yeah, I remember. And you, sit, you just start dwelling on all this stuff. And so many times it's bad stuff. You just start saying, oh, I made this mistake. I made... Women have made a lot of mistakes. Men have made a lot of mistakes. You know what? Paul made a huge number of mistakes. And look how this guy succeeded. If the Apostle Paul can do it, so can we. See, this is one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul needed a Damascus Road experience. His mind wasn't working right. He was like a madman. He's lost all perspective. And God knew, this guy's gone off the deep end. And I want to use him, but I'm going to have to do something incredible to get his attention. It's still going to be his choice. So Damascus Road. Hey! you better be glad you don't need a Damascus Road experience. You better be glad you're not that far off. What the Apostle Paul did was horrible. And yet, he understood the forgiveness of God, the blood of Jesus, the grace of God, and he admitted, look, I did all those things. However, the grace of God, the blood of Jesus, the love of Christ. That has enabled me to go past my past and continue on serving Him. I forget those things that are behind. They're no longer shackles in my life. They were events. But they're no longer going to hold me back. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, as you sit here, listen, I don't know, I don't know what you've done. And we're not going to have, you know, a confession altar time. Oh, just pray that God will... No, listen, you've got your answer right here. The Word of God. You've got your answer. And what it comes down to is, like when God dealt with me about this, since that time, every now and then, you know, memory tries to... It's like, nope, nope, nope. No room for you here. Good or bad. No room for you here. Drive by a place where I used to play softball games. Nope. Not reliving those games. Nope. See something here. See... Nope. Not doing that. Nope. Cast you down. God, I rejoice in who I am today. This, right now, my walk with you, this is my present. I will hear from you, I will go forward in you. This is what you have to do. Doesn't matter what you've done. And this is so critical for us because our past will war against revival. Against it happening. How in the world can we minister to somebody about, God has forgiven you, your past is over, if we're struggling with it ourselves? <laughs> how can we help others if we're the ones that keep, you know, digging this stuff up and reliving all of the hurt, all the pain, all of this? All, how in the world can we be of any help to people? They, we need to be like Peter. You know, days ago, he's cursing and denying Jesus. But now, he understands, I've been restored, and let me tell you people about Jesus. And about 3,000 people got born again. We have to get past it. We have to get past this, this, call it a roadblock, call it a hindrance. Get over it, go forward, and any time that that stuff starts trying to climb back up again, cast it down. doesn't matter who it involves, cast it down. No, I will not think of you. Start rejoicing and praising the Lord. Start praising Him. Think on these things. Praise God. This is critical to go forward in revival. You've, you ever been around Christians where one person starts talking about some bad thing that happened to them and then they, this other person, they chime in, oh yeah, I remember back when it... And before you know it, man, these guys are reliving horror movies. <laughs> Who needs that? No. We press beyond those things. And we reach under that mark, that goal, the prize. Glory to God. Man, I, I hope you're encouraged with this today, because I'm telling you, uh, you know, we don't have a massive crowd of thousands here today, but in this number, there are people here. You you needed this today. Some people struggle or have struggled with these things more than others. You need this. You need this. And I need it too. We have to keep these things in mind. Glory to God. Father, I pray for us here, those watching, those listening, that Father, we would not let our past govern our decisions, our thought life, the way that we're, we're trying to move forward in you. But Father, we'll leave the past where it is. It's in the past. Yes, those events happened, good and bad. Fun and not fun. They did take place. However, we will continue to cast them down, to think on the things that we should think on, and rejoice in who we are in Christ, knowing that no matter what's happened in our past, because of Jesus, we are now qualified to be used by you. Thank you for that, Father. Thank you. And again, I call us, this place here, and those who are a part of of this church, I say that we are a remnant revival church. In Jesus' name, amen. And keep in mind, this also has to do with traditions from the past. Well, you you can't, in the congregation, you, you can't all pray in tongues at the same time. Yeah, you can. Get past this stuff. Hallelujah.